1: expert one-on-one coaching, access to proven growth tools, and a 24-7 support community. Created by Inc. award-winning CEO and certified Scaling Up business coach, Bruce Eckfeldt, Thrive will help you grow your business more quickly and with less drama. For details on the program, visit Eckfeldt.com thrive. That's E-C-K-F-E-L-D-T dot com slash thrive. Welcome, everyone. This is Scaling Up Services. I'm Bruce Eckfeldt. I'm your host. And our guest today is James P Freel. He is an entrepreneur, he's a consultant, he's an author, and he's really focused on helping owners, helping entrepreneurs grow their business, scale their business by helping them really think about it as a system, how to make things repeatable, scalable, building in quality, all topics that I love to talk about in terms of how do we do this in general, but how do we particularly do it with service-based businesses? You know, obviously the challenge in services is we're dealing with people. People tend to be variable. <laughs> Variability tends to be hard to scale. So. So I always love talking with other folks who help business owners, entrepreneurs, figure these systems out so they can really you know, make their business a scalable entity, hopefully get them out of the day-to-day a little bit more, hopefully enjoy their company a little bit more, hopefully give them some, some freedom to do other things. But uh, I always love these conversations. Uh, with that, James, welcome to the program.
0: Thanks, Bruce. Great to be here, man. Yeah. So
1: I always love to kind of learn about people's backgrounds. There's always a story about how people got to where they are today. <laughs> yeah. Tell me a little bit about yours, and then we'll kind of dig into the work that you do.
0: Yeah, I think uh, I think it's funny. Somebody once said that if you look backwards, you can you know connect the dots, but going forward, everything kind of looks like a a squiggly line. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And uh, that's definitely the case for me. You know, I started. uh, I you know originally went to college to be an aerospace engineer. And decided that was kind of boring because I didn't want to be stuck in a cubicle, just designing a small component for an aircraft and uh, found my way into uh, behavioral research and working more with how how do we create systems that are based around people. So like human centered design and human computer interaction, stuff like that. And had uh, ten years in the corporate world. With my last post as the global head of digital strategy for uh, HSBC Bank, oh yeah, and I was just kind of, you know, I really enjoyed the the whole aspect of, you know, creating online systems and things that help bring the, bring more sales into the company. Mm -hmm. But I was tired of working with really monolithic, gigantic organizations, you know, multi-billion dollar multinational companies, because they just moved so slow. And, uh, and I was like, man, I just like, where's the entrepreneurial energy in the world? And so I left and, uh, started, uh, started my first consulting firm, started helping people do what I knew how to do, which was create more sales and build systems and, and things like that. And so, uh, you know, from aerospace engineer to this, I guess isn't the most natural (laughs) <laughs> transition, mm-hmm. but it was one that I made and here I am now. Yeah.
1: If you just look at the beginning and the end, you just scratch your head. <laughs> but, yeah, but once yeah, you got to tell right. the story of the he's like, ah, oh, yeah, I get it. Yeah, I started as an architect and I got into kind of similar digital strategy and then technology and then entrepreneur. And then, you know, so every individual pivot has a connection and makes sense. But when you go from beginning to end, it can be, it can look a little dizzying. So <laughs> yeah, I, I certainly sir. get it. So, and tell us, you know, about the work that you do now. I mean, how did you kind of land on sort of the model that you have? The type of companies you work with, what you help them with, the problems that you solve—give us a little details.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So again, it was you know kind of one of these things where I unintentionally stumbled into what I found to be a big problem for a lot of people. And originally, I thought it was a problem that I just had myself. So one of my one of my first uh, companies that I had after you know I left my corporate role was a a marketing agency, Mm -hmm. and you know we were doing really well. We did good work. You know we were building you know, sales funnels and websites and backend automations and traffic and that sort of thing. But you know, service-based business, right? And so there's, you know, big people component to it. And I just found myself working, you know, 60, 70, 80 hours a week. And I was exhausted and, you know, just had this thought. I was living in this beautiful condo on the beach in Florida. And, you know, the closest I got to the beach was looking over the balcony (laughs) and other people enjoying the beach. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Someday, someday I'll get out there. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I was like, wait a second. The dream seems awfully close, but also so far away all at the same time. And I, I was just like, man, something needs to change cuz I certainly didn't trade in my what was a great corporate career for just being shackled to my desk 24/7 or at least it felt that way. Yeah. And so I started working through things, you know, really looking at first it was the people. You know, and I had mm-hmm. uh, a revolving door in my company for a while, you mm-hmm. know, and it's, you know, embarrassing or not embarrassing or whatever, it just it is what it was. Yeah. And, you know, hired and fired like, you know, six operations people within 18 months and Eventually, I was just like, you know, what? maybe, maybe it's not them. Maybe it's me. <laughs> yeah,
1: that happens a lot. Usually after three or four, but
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. you know what? <laughs> I'm persistent, but yeah, sometimes a exactly. slow learner. I love it. Yeah, and uh, and so I was like, okay, well, it's not. You know, it's not that because some yeah. of the people absolutely did suck, yeah. and they should yeah. have not been in my company. But some of them were okay, and and mm-hmm. uh, they were good people. And so I was like, well, you know what, maybe maybe it's, uh, you know, our tools and our technology. And so, you know, I tried all different software platforms, you know, project management tools, mm-hmm. this thing to keep things organized and that thing, CRM tools and everything else. And, you know, some of it helped and some of it was just kind of like more things for me to manage and more overhead. Yeah. And finally, one day I was just like, you know what, it's not the people, it's not these tools. Like, what is the thing? And what I realized when I finally zoomed out, I said, you know what, I've not been looking at systems the right way. I've been thinking too narrow-minded about the way that I'm approaching this. And I zoomed out and I said, okay, a system actually is the combination of people and processes and tools. Mm -hmm. And that was a really big insight for me at the time, getting things into that simple framework. And at that point, I was like, oh, that makes a lot of sense. So then I started thinking through how do I architect systems for each of the areas of my company through that lens of people, process, tools, And we really got on a a clear path to growth and things dramatically improved for me over kind of like a three to six month time frame and we were getting more done it was less stressful I was working a normal work week mm-hmm. and it's really funny Bruce because at the time I thought I was the only one who was having this problem <laughs> yeah. and I didn't even really want to talk about it I was like oh like everyone else got figured out but somehow I'm disorganized over here even though I have background in engineering and yeah. kind of an organized guy I was like I'm not I'm not letting anybody know how bad it was That's a good- and yeah, And other people, other people from, you know, the marketing agency, just clients, friends, people that I was in masterminds with were starting to scratch their heads and say, hey, what are you doing differently? It seems... Something seems different about you, about your business. like Working out a little bit more. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Like you look a little bit more tan, you're able to go down to the beach. Yeah. And so people started asking me what I was doing. And very reluctantly at first, I started sharing and uh, started making a big difference for other people and really realized, hey, wait a second. Scaling is not easy, right? Everybody just says, hey, just, you know, find something that people love and then scale your business. (laughs) Talk about an oversimplification. (laughs)
1: Exactly. (laughs) Build a rocket and just go to the moon. Yeah, that's <laughs> all, all you need to do. No big deal. <laughs> uh, I get it. You mentioned something in there that I thought was really interesting, and I see this time and again, is is companies have this kind of people problem, right? They get frustrated with you know the talent they have or the people they've hired, the performance that people are, are having inside the company. And they, I think it's kind of an overcorrection syndrome. I mean, they, they basically say, yeah. okay, screw it. I'm not going to be able to get good people or I, or I can't rely on people. I need to create a system which is so detailed that nobody can make a mistake, right? We're going we're gonna to make checklists for, you know, every keystroke to type. We're going to document these processes to such great detail that no one can ever make a mistake again. I can hire monkeys to run this business. And it ends up being this kind of pendulum swing. And A, it's a huge huge amount of work right they invest huge amounts of time and energy and money into this stuff and then then they realize that it doesn't actually work right because you still really do have people behind the scenes and if you do hire lower level you know less skilled talent you're just going to run into different kind of problems. And if you have good people that actually are quite talented, they're not going to be happy working in that kind of structure. And so then they end up kind of swinging back or they get frustrated. And it sounds like, or, or this idea that you brought up, I think is really interesting, which is it's a combination of these things. Right? It's not about creating checklists that are 100 pages long. It's figuring out how to create the right sort of system that that enhances people's capabilities and coordinates people's energy. It's almost kind of like the cyborg approach, right? You want to get the best of the people and the best of systems. Systems to work together in a really collaborative way. Tell us about how you kind of found that balance or what that process was like for you.
0: Yeah, I think that's that's an excellent point. And the whole idea behind the system definition of people process tools uh-huh. is that that can be calibrated depending on the circumstance, right? Where, yeah. you know, for for very, very specific things that just are like, they have to be done mm-hmm. exactly the same way each and every time, of course the process may be more detail oriented but the trade off with that is okay I'm probably not going to need you know a thought leader yeah. in that role I'm just going to need somebody who's able to execute those steps and contrast that with creative problem solving we might have a loop more loosely structured process that's more of a high level framework of phases to go through but in order for that process to work we need a higher level person who is a thought leader right so there's yeah. there's a sort of relationship between the level of talent we need paired up with the type of process and obviously supported by the right tools but it's not it's not the same for every everything that you're doing
1: yeah. Well, and you mentioned the other piece there, too, which is the tool side. And I see this happen as well, which is people become over-reliant upon tools, right? They go, they get Asana, or they get uh, Insightly, or they they get some piece of software, Salesforce, or something like that. And they, yeah. they're like, oh, this is going to solve all my problems, right? And then they just kind of expect the system to do the work. And either you know, they just rely upon the base system or they don't take the time to actually design a process within it or they end up spending so much time trying to implement the tool that they don't get any value out of it. Tell me about how you kind of approach the selection of a tool, when, when, what kind of criteria you use, or how do you avoid, or, or how do you help really leverage a tool in, in a positive, valuable way for the overall sort of business operations, and not get sucked in, kind of to this, oh, the software is going to save me, or the tool is going to save me, and becomes a kind of a rat hole of time <laughs> and money and energy.
0: Yeah, no, this is such a such a great question because there's a. There's, it's almost like the siren song of some of these tools yeah where you're like, oh my gosh, like that's what I need and then next thing you know you're you're sinking your your business because you spent so much time and energy on something and it's, so I think the first thing is you know the context is critical and the context in which you should bring any tool to, to play or frankly any system, the people the process the tools, the whole entire thing is really being first and foremost extremely clear on what's the result. That we're shooting yeah. for here yeah right and so that in mind i'm a big fan of simple is better there's a lot of tools out there that have massive amounts of functionality that on the the marketing website seem extremely sexy and interesting, but do you really need them? Like is that there's a trade-off between, you know, all that functionality and the level of complexity that makes it harder not only to implement the tool, but harder for people to use the tool. Yeah. Exactly. And if it's harder for people to use the tool, then guess what that means? It means there's going to be more training requirements. So one of the one of the phrases that I I like to say a lot is you got to make sure that the juice is worth the squeeze. Mm-hmm. And yeah. is the effort that we're putting into this worth what we're getting out of it. And the only way that you can really evaluate that is what is the result that we're trying to achieve and we absolutely must keep things as simple as possible that still helps us get that result.
1: Yeah, there's a, I see this happen a lot where where we're an entrepreneur or a business owner, well, they'll be at a mastermind they'll be at a conference they'll talk with, you know, some people in the industry or in other industries and they'll talk about a problem they have and someone will say, Oh yeah, we use such and such a tool and it's been great for us. And so they go out and they buy that tool and they implement that tool, and like, oh my gosh, this is horrible. It doesn't do anything. And without really appreciating that, what the other company is doing, you know, they're probably solving a very different problem. They have very different people, they have a very different process. And that tool may be a great fit for them. But just yeah. because it works wonderfully for them doesn't mean it's going to work wonderfully for you. And you really need to kind of do you take take that step back and yeah, say, well, again, what is the result I'm trying to produce, the value I'm trying to deliver? And then what are the problems that I'm having delivering that? And how is this tool going to help me solve those problems rather than just creating more problems or more work for me?
0: Well, 100 percent And that's why I think it's so important to intentionally architect and design the system with those three components in mind before you go off and you hire people, before you go off and you make a selection on a tool. Because if you're saying, okay, this, this is what the system needs to do, great, what are the people requirements to do this? What are the process requirements? What are the tool requirements? And considering all of those things at the same time, helps to ensure that you have a system that's the right fit for the right job, as opposed to having something that's either overweight and cumbersome yeah. or weak and not enough for whatever your need happens to be. Yeah,
1: yeah. And as you work with companies, we talk about scaling and we talk about growing the business. How do you deal with that situation, which I'm, I'm sure you run into, which is a company is has done fairly well, but they're doing 15 different things for 15 different kinds of clients. And now they're trying to figure out how to standardize their processes, You know, put these things into tools and they realize that Nothing is the same. <laughs> like if every yeah. project is bespoke. You know, every client wants a different set of things. You know, the process they use is different. Like, how do you kind of practically and kind of more almost kind of mindset wise help leaders of the business kind of go through that journey or, or help them figure out how they're going to scale and deal with these oftentimes kind of rat's nests that they create in terms of operations and clients and products and services that they're delivering?
0: Yeah, that's an awesome question. And the truth is, one, the first thing is recognition that it's okay that you have that, right? Yeah. that's sort of a sign that you're doing something right that you even have that problem to solve but it's you know it's still a problem nonetheless and one that really needs to be straightened out and streamlined before you scale yeah. with any you know kind of velocity because you know chaos plus velocity equals disaster <laughs> <laughs> right and and we certainly don't want disaster on our hands. And so there's there's another framework that I think would be really helpful to discuss. And yeah. it's this what I call the five pillars of your business. And so, you know, every every business, whether it's smaller service-based business or even a large organization, you know, has five five core areas, mm-hmm. marketing. Sales, delivery, operations, and finance. And the way that I look at it is I say, okay, you know, we have uh, one sheet of paper and we have five columns on this one sheet of paper, and each one of those columns represents one of those pillars. Mm-hmm. And then we take that definition of a system and we apply a traffic light rating to it. So red. Means that we have non-existent systems and the results that we get are from, you know, hard work. The results are inconsistent and it's just, you know, kind of a brute force sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Right. And then yellow, we might have one or two of those system components in place. We might have great people. We might have documented processes. We might actually have the right tools, but they're not coordinated yet. And so we've got some of the building blocks coming together. And green is when we have people, process and tools coordinate together to produce a consistent result for us. And then looking across those five pillars, we can quickly assess where are we, red, yellow, green, in each one of those five pillars. And so in a service-based business, there is the possibility that the delivery pillar, or at least some of the systems within the delivery pillar, could be red or yellow, especially when you're kind of getting this footing underneath you. And in that case, it's important to say, all right, well, what is A standard that we're going to shoot for. And it doesn't necessarily mean that we're going to hit and achieve that standard overnight. Mm -hmm. But what must happen is we must put a stake in the ground and say, this is a core offer that we're offering to our clients and our customers. And now let's create a migration plan over time to see if we can get people there. And some people are going to stay and some people are not going to stay. But now that you have a core offer, it becomes a magnet for the types of clients who are attracted to that core offer. And as you get those delivery systems from red to yellow and from yellow to green, that core offer becomes more and more streamlined. And it definitely does become easier to manage those clients with less exception cases.
1: Yeah, and I think that it's a key kind of point around strategy. Like if you really want to be strategic and grow the business, you've got to focus on that core offering. I I always say, the faster you want to grow, the, f- the more you need to focus, and I like that kind of looking at the business as those five major functions and doing doing that you know red yellow green analysis on them. I, mean, I guess do you find that your first step is always kind of dealing with the reds, or is once you do the assessments and once you kind of see where you know where you have good highly repeatable well. Oiled systems and where you have kind of brute
0: force. How do you kind of make some decisions on where to focus in what order? Yeah, so so great because I think one of the initial reactions that a lot of people have after they do that brief analysis is, oh my god, we have more reds than than your yellows yeah. than than we thought we would, and then. And then they're they feel this sense of now we've just we've got to get everything to green, right? Or we've got to move, you know, move things from red to yellow. And the the truth of it is the only way to make that decision on what should be moved from red to yellow and yellow to green is what is our goal right now and what's standing between us and hitting that goal. Yeah. And so if you're in an organization where, let's say, for example, your marketing and your sales are on green, but your delivery and your operations are on red or yellow then obviously we want to zero in on what's going on in the operations and delivery because if we don't, it's not going to be able to support the weight of the sales and marketing efforts that are functioning quite well. Mm-hmm. Contrast that with, you know, maybe we have delivery that really is good, but our marketing and sales efforts are lagging behind. And so we need to make sure that we're, you know, getting enough people to raise their hands and then shaking hands and saying hey we're going to do some deals together and so it it really it really is a kind of a an evaluation of what are we trying to achieve right now and what is the big thing that's standing between us and achieving that goal is it you know is it a marketing or a sales related problem is it a delivery related problem is it potentially an operations problem where we just don't have our internal pieces functioning well together and that's the thing that's holding us back from really hitting the gas on our marketing and our sales so the, the only right way to answer that question is it depends, but it depends on what you're trying to achieve and what the thing that's really standing in your way from achieving that is.
1: Yeah. And how do you deal with the kind of the people side of this is, you know, in terms of when you do the analysis and you kind of figure out this the core offering the the core thing that you do and you start to shed maybe some of these other products and services that you've been offering that have been, you know, helpful to some clients but as you kind of look at it you decide that it's not the most scalable thing or it's not the area that you really want to strategically scale. to the extent that you've got, you know, staff, you know, that are connected to these these areas, these other offerings, these other services, how do you kind of deal with shifting your people, kind of talent strategy, you know, are you looking to repurpose these folks? I mean is it, are they always repurposable? How do you Kind of deal with the human side of this as you figure out your strategic focus
0: yeah and in, in a perfect world everybody would always be repurposeable, yeah. right but unfortunately that's not the case and the way that the way that i look at it is i have uh i have another framework that i call the performance matrix and it's uh four four squares mm-hmm. and in the top right we have people who are willing and able and in the bottom left we have people who are unwilling and unable and in the corners it's unwilling or able and yeah. unable but willing and that performance matrix is a really useful tool in evaluating, even if people are in a current role, but definitely if you're going to have to make a pivot or something, because yeah. what we want is we want people who are willing, meaning they are bought into the vision of the company. They understand the the mandate, where we're going, what we're trying to do, who our customers are, why we're trying to serve them. They're, you know, they're emotionally connected with what we're up to. Mm-hmm. And then able is a, you know, is a factor of are they are they competent at what we need them to do? Do they have the experience, the skill set, all that sort of thing? And especially when there's a, a pivot or an adjustment or something happening, that's a time for us to reevaluate those people based on the new role that they're going to be in. So they might have been willing and able in a prior role mm-hmm. but in this new role it's possible that they're willing but unable yeah. and if that's the case then we have to sit down and we have to talk to them and say okay well what do we need to do to get you into that top right quadrant of willing and able is it simply a you know a training mm-hmm. you know we got to put you in some sort of training Is it something else? Or is it possible that because, you know, the the ground has shifted and now the new goal is over here, you're no longer the right fit Mm -hmm. for this. And at that point, it's not about the person's personality. It's not about, you know, how much we like them or how much they like us. It's, are you the right fit for the role that we have inside the organization right now? And, you know, the analogy that I like to use is the old uh, video game Tetris, Mm-hmm. right there's all these different pieces different shapes different sizes and it's like what's a good piece in tetris well it depends on where we need to fit that piece mm-hmm. right and the same the same is true here and in a shifting organization it's important to use that performance matrix to make sure that we're recalibrating that individual to their new role and if they are willing and able in that new role. Awesome. That's a win for everybody. If they're not, then it's you know, is there another role inside the organization that they are willing and able for? Or potentially there's there's going to have to be a decision made to let them go and because they're just not a good fit, not because they're not a great person.
1: Yeah. And I always find it being able to kind of go through that analysis and actually have that discussion and show the situation, you know, just sets up a much easier conversation in terms of well, then what do we do? And if someone's not a fit, they're not a fit. But now we're kind of uh, we're having an open conversation about it, and we can figure out what a reasonable strategy is for an exit, you know, for a transition. I mean, these are never fun things to do, but I think it moves it into uh, you know an uncomfortable and unfortunate and out of a potentially volatile and destructive process. So I think it's it's really important to really go through that work and have that conversation, have an open conversation with folks when when that happens because it happens. You know, businesses change strategy, situations change, and you're going to need to have that conversation. And getting good at that is is going
0: to be key. Yeah, absolutely. And I would I would say it is it is your job to be the person who initiates those conversations and make sure that you can have them. Because if you're not having those conversations, like as a CEO, as an owner of a business, then really you're not doing your job to the business that that you really need to. And Like you said, while those might be uncomfortable, they're important, and without having those number one, you're not doing the right thing for the business. But number two, if that person's not a great fit or they're no longer a great fit, you're really not doing the right thing for them. Yeah. And it's much better to call it tight and to have a, a challenging but you know rational conversation using that framework and enable somebody to leave and go find something that they are great at mm-hmm. than try and keep them there because it's uncomfortable to have that that conversation.
1: Yeah, part of the business, but I think the better you, you are able to do it. It should never be easy, I guess. <laughs> I'll be yeah. worried about
0: a CEO who says, oh yeah,
1: it's easy. I do it all the time. Time, uh, <laughs> but you shouldn't avoid it, right? Like it should be something right. that you're able to tackle when you need to effectively and, and quickly. Let's talk a little bit more about the talent side. I mean, assuming that you've kind of done this right and you figured out your strategy and you're kind of on that scaling process, you know, if you're a service-based business, one of the challenges of scaling is you've got to find people, and and oftentimes that becomes a real bottleneck for folks. Is how do I find more of the right people to grow and scale the business? Whether it's in my own geography or if I'm going to open other offices and work in new new areas. Areas where I've got to recruit and hire. What are some strategies, suggestions that you give the clients you work with in terms of how to handle that recruiting and, and hiring and onboarding
0: process? Yeah, that's uh, that we, we could probably spend, spend a couple days talking <laughs> yeah, exactly. about just this one question. But super high level, I would say great talent will be attracted to great great leadership and great opportunities. Yeah. And most people who are willing and wanting to pour themselves into a role want to do they want to feel that there's purpose behind it. And so I think intentionally creating a culture where people are you know excited to come in, they understand what the business is up to, what customers you're serving, that everybody is actually there to make a difference and to serve a customer, I think creates the the right foundation to kind of have that magnetic attraction for the right for the right talent. That said, you know, creating the right foundation doesn't necessarily mean that people are just going to, you know, drive by and say, hey, that's a great place I want to work. Right. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. so there's, you know, there's multiple parts of that. And and one of the strategies that that we share is long time ago, and I'll share a quick story to illustrate this. My very, very first job out of college, I was working for a Symantec software company. Mm-hmm. And while I was there, I was six months in or something. And, you know, we're a publicly traded company. And there was this sort of scandal that popped up. And it turned out that the CFO that we had, top 10 software company in the world, somebody said, hey, this guy lied on his resume. He didn't actually go to Stanford Business School. And he didn't even actually go to business school. And I was like, what? How could this even happen? And that just like, I don't know, just kind of planted a seed in the back of my mind for this level of skepticism towards you know, resumes and interviews and things <laughs> like that. And so, yeah. so as we've grown and you know helped people put hiring systems in place, one of the things that has been critical is... Like we don't really rely on on resumes. what? And so what we do is we create a thorough job description, right? The first thing is always going to be it's way easier to find somebody if you're clear on who you're looking for. Yeah. And I think a lot of the business owners that reach out to us sometimes say, hey, you know, we know we need talent and then they just shut up. And I'm like, well, and, and like, what do you need that talent to do? Like what yeah, exactly. role, what role inside your company are they supposed to fill? And so I think Keller Williams has a great term for this. They call it like, you got to fill out a missing persons report. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and so we use that and, you know, that gets posted everywhere. And instead of saying, Hey, you know, here's the thing, send us your resume, you know, cause in subsequent research after that whole CFO situation years ago, you know, I've read various Reports. I don't think it's even just one over 80% of people have admitted to fudging or outright lying on their resumes And so here we have most people looking through resumes, which are not standard They don't tell you the information that you want They tell you the information that the candidate thinks presents them in the best light Mm -hmm. And over 80% of them are probably have some line of BS in there somewhere And so we we just say, okay, well what questions would we want to ask this person if we were to have an initial conversation with them. And so we create application forms and create a hiring funnel where people will fill out the answers to our questions. And then one of the questions that we ask in there, which I call our keystone question, is how do you know when you're doing a good job? And it's a really simple question, but you'd be amazed at how many people answer that question differently for that role than what you think is a good job for that role. And so we're able to screen out you know, 70, 80 to even 90% of the applicants almost immediately because they haven't answered that keystone question correctly in light of the role that we're hiring them for. And so it becomes an, a numbers game at that point. And we have a system set up to help us kind of cut through the noise and let the cream rise to the top. And it's not uncommon, you know, for for us to see if we're hiring for, you know, any role. Like it's this works for all different types of things. But, you know, to go from... You know, 300 applicants down to our top three to five within 30 minutes to an hour. Mm-hmm. And that ruthless efficiency, because it is a numbers game at that point and the, and the system is doing most of the cutting out of the, the noise for us, allows us to put more volume through those hiring funnels and find people in a much faster way before we even ever get on the phone with anybody and start an interview.
1: Yeah, I can always tell and I love hearing systems that are essentially analogous to sales systems, right? It's about how do I how do I create enough applicants? How do I filter those to be the right fit? How do I engage those that are right fit into a real discussion, you know, finalize a contract, you know, really clarify what the objectives are, what the outcomes are going to be and make a good decision around it. And I always say the hiring is a game of finding that top 10%, right? Like everyone's in a search for talent, if I can find the best 10% for the geography, role, price range, you know, the salary range, compensation range that I'm willing to pay, you know, I'm going to win, right? Because I'm going to out-talent, I'm going to out-recruit the competition on this. So this is great advice. And like you said, we we could spend a couple of days (laughs) probably getting into all (laughs) these details. But if people want to find out more about you, about the work that you do, about the systems that you have, what's the best way to get that information?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So uh, so you go to jamespfreel.com, F-R-I-E-L. And uh, one of the things that we've got is a, a free Facebook group called Bulletproof Business. Lots of trainings and interesting things going on in there. So, and there's a link to that Facebook group on uh, JamesBFrill.com. So I think that would probably be the easiest place for people to go and, and connect up if, uh, if they'd like to do that.
1: Yeah, great. I'll make sure that the URL is in the show notes here uh, so people can click through and get that. James, this has been a pleasure. I always love uh, speaking with people that are helping businesses grow, sharing notes, sharing some more stories. So it's uh, always a fun conversation. I really appreciate you taking the time today.
0: Yeah, awesome. Thanks so much for having me, Bruce. Really appreciate being here. You've been listening to Scaling Up Services with business coach Bruce Eckfeldt.